We've made it to part two of the two-part season finale. Join us as we wrap up season four with some visits to seasons one, two, and three. This journey will take us to Gone with the Wind, Suzanne Summers, Bob Hope, Anita Bryant, Screaming Chickens, Swept Away, and Ellen Burstyn. Through all of this, there really is only one question. Will Blanche sell the house? Let's find out as we finish the season with We're Out of Here, part two. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our things. No matter the misters that come. Coco did some digging. This was actually the year of a writer's strike, which is probably why the finale is a two-part clip show. Maybe they just didn't have the material needed to be able to film a proper finale. So Coco also wondered why it said that the second part would be continuing later that evening. We aren't 100% sure, but it could have been that NBC was trying to promote the Dead in the Water sitcom, One of the Boys, which only had six episodes, but it was one of the first shows to feature a Latin American woman as the star with Maria Conchita Alonso. However, it also looks like the girls might have just played in an hour block, so one of the boys was somewhere around there. And fun fact... The Sunday night movie, the following day, was the network premiere of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I heard that you were feeling ill, headache, fever, and a chill. I came to help restore your pluck, because I'm the nurse who likes to... Finding Dorothy sitting at the kitchen table in her yellow and blue nightdress, Rose in her satin pink robe is surprised she's awake and wonders aloud if it's due to the whole selling the house thing. Never one to pass up a joke opportunity, Dorothy says, oh, it's not that. She's just bummed that comedian, SNL alum, and notorious jerk Joe Piscopo didn't land the leading role in Rain Man. I don't know if she was hoping to see him in the Tom Cruise or Dustin Hoffman role, but boy, wouldn't that have ruined the movie. When the back door opens, Dorothy turns around. In disbelief, she sees Sophia coming in. But it's 2 a.m. Dorothy can't imagine where she's been or why she was even out. Leaving Sophia in mauve slacks, a similarly shaded blouse, and a bright blue cardigan, joking that she snuck out after stuffing her bed with pillows like Ferris Bueller. With this intense questioning, Sophia asks if she's living in the 1953 film inspired by true POW stories, Stalag 17. And if you think everything was roses, it wasn't. Stalag 17 was a hellhole where no man ever escaped alive. One of us is a stoolie, a dirty, stinking stoolie. One of them, a big-time operator who played the million-to-one shot, tunneling out of Stalag 17. Just one more word. If I ever run into any of you bums on a street corner, just let's pretend we never met before. Shockingly, Sophia wasn't up to trouble. She was just taking a walk after having a bad dream. Rose is kind of excited to hear this, as she would love to try to interpret the dream. 
Hopefully she can handle the vague nature of this one. Sophia dreamt that Blanche sold the house, which then forced her to move back to Shady Pines. Hmm, that's a real head-scratcher. Pleading desperately, Sophia turns to her daughter, asking to not be sent back there. Dorothy says she won't, which Sophia interprets to mean that she found an even worse place, something like sunny pastures to send her to. When Blanche, in her long, multi-pastel paneled nightgown and robe comes in, Sophia throws herself to her feet, begging her to not sell. While down there, she's curious what she's feeling through the gown, which seems to be holding up her stockings. Shooing Sophia away, Blanche takes a seat at the table. She realizes that she was hasty in giving her decision. She's not the only one who lives there, so she needs their opinions, too. She wants the advice of Rose and Dorothy. Amazingly, the two of them are holding pretty good boundaries. I, for one, would probably be hysterical, crying to not have them sell the house. Not these ladies. They know Blanche is the owner, and it's only something she can decide to do or not. This comes as a shock to Blanche, who has never had to deal with the gals holding back. Holding back. Holding back. Instead of holding back, we're going way back to the third episode in the series, Rose the Prude. We're starting at the lanai where Rose, in a white, blue, teal, and green dress, is sitting on the chair talking about getting serious with Arnie, pre-Miles, who she's been seeing since a double date with Blanche. Rose is clearly stressed about the relationship, and without being prompted, the girls are at her side. While it's obvious her concern is about Arnie, Dorothy, in tan-ish slacks, a white t-shirt, and a light purple button-up tied at the waist, cracks a joke about Rose being upset about Coke changing its flavor, which we went into great detail about in the original episode. Rose eventually gets to the real point of her concern, which is that Arnie has invited her to go on a cruise to the Bahamas. Blanche, in an offensively brown pant and polo combo with a red apron hiding some of it from our eyes, thinks this means Arnie wants Rose to pay for the trip. But that's not why she's upset. It's because Rose knows that there will be an expectation of intimacy, and it has been since Charlie died 15 years prior that she was last in that position, a fact Blanche cannot believe. It's really kind of heartbreaking that Rose is so nervous and doesn't feel safe talking to this guy about her apprehensions before even considering this trip. Blanche cannot relate, while Dorothy is supportive, but also a cheerleader for getting that D. Rose goes on to say that not only has it been since her husband died that she's had sex, but Charlie was the only man she had ever been with, and he had been her first, which was on their wedding night. As Blanche's shock and surprise continues, Dorothy defends Rose, saying that not everyone is recognized by entire naval fleets as a safe port. hey it isn't just the idea of sex that has Rose flustered. It's that she has subconsciously closed that chapter after Charlie died. She just didn't consider it ever happening again. Rose, you were so young when he died. You probably hadn't even started your prime yet. Don't hang up that towel. Dorothy comforts her, saying not to overthink it and to just go for it. And once she's there in the moment, she'll know what to do. With that advice... Rose has decided to take the chance and go on the trip. She'll just need to find some clothes, because what does one even wear on a cruise ship? Blanche might not have had the relationship answer, but she does have the fashion answer. Why, you would just wear a life vest and a smile. Fast forward, Rose has gone on the trip, and Dorothy, in her long white nightgown, is having tea with her ma in a pink and white nightgown. 
and she's wondering aloud what Rose is up to, or as Sophia implies, who is up Rose? Her, her, her. As Blanche joins them wearing her periwinkle satin robe, she defends their actions of talking Rose into going on the trip while also sharing how shocked she is Rose has been celibate for so long. This prompts a conversation about how long all of them waited to be intimate again after their husbands died, or in Dorothy's case, left. Sophia makes one of the most classic jokes from the series when the question is proposed to Blanche. Sophia cuts her off with a, until the paramedics came, without even looking up from her tea. Ignoring that, Blanche asks Dorothy who she was first with after Stan. Sophia answers for her. It was the divorce lawyer. Sophia says, it's always the divorce lawyer. But numbers show it's only about 7% of lawyers that have affairs with clients, even though that survey also said 32% of those that were surveyed had a co-worker that was involved with a client. It may sound fun and scandalous, but it can actually damage your case. Lawyer-client privilege only protects you and your lawyer's conversations when they are lawyering, not if you are dating. In fact, if it's found that you are canoodling, your lawyer can be forced by your ex to testify, airing all the dirty laundry, ultimately damaging the case. So maybe don't do it. It was the divorce lawyer because after the breakup of her marriage, Dorothy was feeling some feelings. She wasn't a skinny 20-year-old with everything to offer. She was a single mother and things had changed. As the ladies talk about their post-breakup hookups, they also talk about aging and their changing bodies, another aspect of the show that still is so relevant. Yes, we're all about body positivity, but with each changing year and pound, there is something fascinating about watching everything change. Dorothy convinces Blanche to look at herself while hanging over a mirror. Blanche is horrified at her loose skin. But when she leans back and looks, she is much more delighted, saying she's going to have to start meeting men while lying down, although Sophia and the rest of us were pretty sure that that's what she was doing already. Dorothy reminds Blanche that with her face falling back, her boobs will too, which as a kid I did not understand that joke. But now as a 40-year-old woman with boobs that are way past double Ds, I understand it far too well. Whoosh. Back to the task at hand. Should Blanche sell? A decision needs to be made, but Rose doesn't see that happening now in the middle of the night. They'd be better off getting some sleep and talking about it in the morning. Blanche is not on board with this idea. She's as stressed as the bindings on shapewear being worn by a minister's wife at the Sunday afternoon potluck. Rose's suggestion to get Blanche to relax is to do what she does. Have a glass of warm milk, which the tryptophan and heat would actually help you sleep. Get cozy in your bed and count jumping cows. Just look out for those ones with those big udders because they'll slap you silly. The more Blanche goes on about it, the more dramatic she gets. Dorothy then tells her, Scarlet, to calm down. This is a reference to Scarlet O'Hara from Gone with the Wind. After all, tomorrow is another day. Sophia defends Blanche. Between the bad dancing, the bad acting, and bad singing, it's like a Suzanne Summers special around this place. And yes, Suzanne, may she rest in peace, did have at least one special from an aircraft carrier. I won't say it wasn't cheesy, just, um, I mean, have a listen and then go find it on YouTube, because really, it's worth it. 
The Suzanne Summer Special. Starring Flip Wilson. Special appearance by Gladys Knight and the Pips. And special guest star, Marie Osmond. and the men of the USS Ranger will return. Suzanne Summer Special, sponsored by Nice and Easy. Nice and Easy. Make it happen. Besides, Sophia points out, it's not like Blanche is the only one around there that's overdramatic. 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 For this unforgettable moment, we're going back to Season 1, Episode 18, The Operation. While Dorothy heals, the girls continue practicing for their big dance recital. This is one of the most iconic moments, I think, in the whole series. I'm sure you super fans listening can actually do the dance. For anyone not familiar, we enter the house, piano still playing, to find that the ladies have done to the house what I do when I feel like working out to just dance, which is to rearrange the entire living room. The couch is pushed back, the rug is rolled up, who knows where the bar, coffee table, or television have gone. Blanche is in casual chic with black pantyhose, a black leotard playing the part of her panties, a red t-shirt, and an unbuttoned, I'm the cool mom that does gardening, loose, light blue, and polka dot cover. I really didn't realize until viewing it the first time for the show that she's full on not wearing pants. She is just wearing those pantyhose. Good for you. Meanwhile, Rose is keeping it more conservative with the same black stockings but a black dance skirt covering her bits and a tied-up shirt that was clearly inspired by Blanche's bedroom banana leaves. And they're right to worry about Dorothy getting well enough to perform. While their solos were each an eight count, Dorothy's is a whopping 32. And I love how even in this dance, you get so much of each of their personalities— Rose kind of takes it more serious, but is also a little silly with her movements, while Blanche moves as slow as possible while staying on the beat as to ooze sexiness. And don't even get me started on Rose's end pose with her little knee kicked out. Very Debbie Reynolds. After their practice has concluded, Sophia and a special guest enter the frame. Sophia from the kitchen door and the boom mic from the top right corner, which appears they may have edited out for the flashback. So that's fun. Snarky Sophia grumpily makes the joke via a song lyric, I won't dance, don't ask me. And that's why I won't dance. Why should I? I won't dance. How could I? I won't dance. Merci beaucoup. Whoosh. Speaking of Sophia, it is she who opens the next clip from Season 3, Episode 6, Letter to Gorbachev. As the girls are comforting each other, they are bombarded by Sophia, who wants to perform the parody tune she came up with to perform in the upcoming talent show. 
using the music from the 1938 song from the film The Big Broadcast, which came out the same year, she uses Thanks for the Memory. Thanks for the memory of gardens at Versailles and beef and kidney pie. The night you worked and then came home with lipstick on your tie. <laughs> uh, lovely that was. Huh? Sophia begins. Sing it with me now. Thanks for the Medicare, for Blue Cross and Blue Shield, for a hip that finally healed. Remember on prescriptions, generic is a steal. We thank you so much. Well, her singing wasn't the best, and the topic was a downer. And the girls, well, they hated it. It was, to quote them, awful, depressing, and stinky. Always one to take constructive criticism well, Sophia responds to their response with, go to hell. Whoosh. For the next performance, we turn chicken with another visit to a long day's journey into marinara. You may recall in this scene, Rose has brought home a chicken. For Blanche, the chicken falls in the same category as dogs, and it shouldn't be in the house. It's gross. They're dirty. They're farm animals. Stinky. They're stinky. But this here ain't no farm chicken. This is Count Bessie, and she is a showbiz chicken. Because of the bacteria present on birds' feathers, including chickens, it's not a good idea to have a pet chicken that lives in the house. I'm sorry, Rose. That goes for showbiz chickens, too. There are two parts of this moment that I really love. One being how Blanche says, A showbiz chicken? What does she do? Play the piano? And I love the stage acting of Blanche helping to clear the table. It kind of makes it feel like you're watching a play. Blanche shouldn't really know what to do or what's happening, but for the sake of the setup, she's moving stuff around off the table, and it's just flawless. Putting a fenced-in miniature piano on the table, Rose takes Bessie out of her cage to take the stage. As she pecks away at the keys, soon the child's tune of Old MacDonald starts to play. Performing chickens have been around since at least vaudevillian days, not to say Count Bessie isn't special, but it's pretty clear she's playing Old MacDonald on a children's piano that, no matter what key is struck, plays the next note in the song. The tradition of musical chickens continues today thanks to the internet. Using lights on keys and training, the flock stars made an appearance on America's Got Talent. So yes, hitting the lights on the piano is quite the feat. But this is what it sounds like when a chicken pecks at a piano while its chicken friend pecks at some drums. Rose is delighted by the performance and Blanche's willingness to let her stay in the house. Not Rose, the chicken. And not knowing when to take the win and shut up, Rose then offers to have Bessie play for them after dinner. Blanche's request, bye-bye, birdie. Cutting from the start of that episode, we're almost at the end when Ellen has come bursting into the kitchen. A little while ago, I was nearly asphyxiated by a smelly, stinking, disgusting projectile. And I frankly have had enough. Apologies, that's Rose, who is frantically looking for Count Bessie. Not to be confused with the famed pianist, organist, band leader, and composer Count Basie and his orchestra. At that same moment, the girls are all picking up pieces of fried chicken that Angela, Sophia's sister, has made for them for dinner. Without a bite being taken, the girls quickly realize that they are most likely holding the dismembered, battered, and fried corpse of the talented Miss Bessie. 
When Dorothy hollers out to Angela asking where she got the chicken that she cooked, she says the garage, which is where Bessie's cage had been stored. Blanche is most upset that there won't be any piano playing during dessert. Whoosh. And now for what is probably the best song of the series. M-I-A, another M-I, M-I-A, M-I, spells Miami Beach. Wait, no, not that one. After a difficult week, Rose in a bright blue dress and Dorothy in a yellow dress and her orange and brown art teacher duster are back from a song competition. When Sophia and Blanche ask how the competition went, well, it wasn't great. The girls did get second place, but they were not treated well. Although if they had won first place, they probably wouldn't have wanted their picture taken with Anita Bryant. Anita Bryant was known for her jingles, most famously for orange juice. Orange juice, oh, and bigotry. After OJ fame, she shifted her focus to the gays. Anita was a huge anti-gay spokesperson helping to promote Save the Children. Back then, it wasn't from blood-drinking celebs, but from the gays that wanted to adopt. Well, excuse me for living, Anita Bryant. (laughs) That's what that was about? That was a part of a big portion of it, yeah. Anita, go suck an orange. (laughs) A sour, nasty one with bugs in it. In your grave, dickhead. Anita eventually became the face of bigotry and discrimination, even helping to pass a law to allow for gays to be fired and lose their housing. So it's funny that she would be judging a jingle contest as she was the jingle queen, but she had fallen so far. She now lives in Oklahoma or something after filing for bankruptcy. We've got another crew whoopsie here. As Dorothy and Rose are making their way to the piano, you can see a boom mic just right above Blanche's head. Winners or not, Blanche wants to hear the tune, but the girls are hurt, tired, embarrassed. But with each plea from Blanche becoming more and more pathetic, with a little, please, they finally give in. Of course, they want to share their song. They're proud of it, and they should be. So with just the smallest nudge, the girls have a seat, ready to take it from the top and tickle those 88 keys. Wait a minute. Where the hell did this piano come from? Follow up. Where the hell does it go? Not only is their jingle a great song, I love how, after all of the turmoil of the week, the girls are able to forget about what was bothering them, listen to, and support each other, including Sophia's adorable little grandma sway on the couch. Standing up, they all gather around the piano together to sing about the city they love so much and have grown to call home. At the house, Blanche is still stressed. Sophia suggests they take the advice of a Sicilian, No, not her. Comedian and actor Charlie Callis, who did stand-up, worked with Dean Martin, and did the voice of the dragon in Pete's Dragon. Yes, Rose, of course she means that she's the wise Italian they should be listening to. Sophia can relate to the situation they're in because her dad used to sell real estate, information that's new to Dorothy. It wasn't talked about because her dad wasn't exactly the owner of the Vatican, so trying to sell it was tricky. Though there are stories that Sophia's father won the deed outright from Pope Ronnie the Magnificent, who was not a real pope, in a poker game. A poker game. Sophia's twaddling is not making any sense to Blanche. So Sophia apologizes for not being as clear about religion at 4 a.m. as, say, Danish theologian, poet, philosopher, and author Soren Kierkegaard, who was known mostly for his religious criticism, much like our own Coco over here. 
Dorothy demands Sophia get to a point. Otherwise, she might have to bar her windows. The point is that when you're selling property, it's important to own it. When Blanche tells her that she does own the house, the conversation is over and now Sophia wants something to eat. When every type of food is thrown out as an option, Sophia says that under these stressful circumstances, they should just order everything. Although I'm not sure what burger, pizza, and or Chinese place is open at 4 a.m. pre-DoorDash days. The girls think that that is a crazy idea, but it wouldn't be the first time they did something wild. Something wild. Something wild. For this next flashback, we revisit Season 2, Episode 2, Ladies of the Evening. After being arrested while waiting to attend the Burt Reynolds Theater, the ladies have been left behind bars as presumed sex workers while waiting for Sophia to bail them out. Sophia has finally arrived wearing a purple dress. With relief, Dorothy reaches out for her mother. At first, Sophia plays off that she's disappointed her girls were arrested. Before Dorothy can even finish proclaiming her innocence, Sophia is like, Duh, I just can't believe these stupid cops were so dumb as to think someone would pay to have sex with you, causing Dorothy to literally clutch her pearls. When Rose asks if Sophia is there to bail them out, Dorothy sarcastically answers for her. No, she's actually brought a manicotti, a.k.a. a large pasta tube filled with cheese, with a file hidden in it so they can file the bars apart. While a file being snuck into prison is a bit of a trope, it is something that has actually happened. There are still escapes that take place thanks to pieces of contraband being snuck in. As Blanche starts to celebrate that they'll get to meet Mr. Burt Reynolds, Sophia makes things clear. She's there to bail them out, so one of them has to bail on the party. Blanche makes a strong argument she won the tickets. Dorothy's is fairly good. It is her mother that's bailing them out. I'm sorry, Rose. Even crying all these years later after your Butter Queen loss isn't enough to make you worthy of a ticket. Unwilling to budge, Sophia is in shock that they would let her come all the way down there, bail them out, but not let her go to the show. This sends Dorothy into a screaming tizzy as Sophia tells the guard, huh, she doesn't see the roommates she's there to bail out. Fed up with her selfish children, Sophia rips the tickets from Blanche's hand. As they scream and cry, she can only say one thing. Who cares? I'm on my way to see Mr. Burt Reynolds. You've never covered yourself with Vaseline. You don't know what you're missing. I've got it all. It's down in my boots. Whoosh. Flashing forward to the end of the episode, we see the girls on the couch clearly upset as Sophia, in the side chair, recounts her evening with Mr. Burt Reynolds. Dorothy is in an oversized sweater with an iconic 80s pattern of gray with light blue pants. Blanche is curled up in what can only be described as if her jumpsuit from the God, I wish I was dead moment had a baby with her blue dress that she was supposed to wear to the Burt Reynolds party. It's really great. And Rose is in her most mumsy, I lost the butter queen, pale pink and blue dress with a lace trimmed beige cardigan over it. They're all pouting as a red cardigan over a Christmas napkin pattern dress wearing Sophia shares her stories name-dropping all of the celebrities she can just to rub it in. Bert was there. His wife at the time, Lonnie Anderson, was there. Comedian and classic voice actor slash newsboy cap supporter, Dom DeLuise, was there. As she goes on, they yell at her to stop. Should Sophia have taken at least one of them? Maybe. But were they jerks to her to not try to figure out a better compromise than you're the outcast regarding those tickets? Yeah. So maybe Sophia's right. 
that they're just jealous that Cinderella is back from the ball. Dorothy disagrees. They aren't jealous. They're mad that they got left behind in jail. Who cares if she was eating shrimp out of country star Jerry Reed's hands? Unable to stand it any longer, Dorothy calls her mother out. This is just another colorful moment where you're making everything up to make us feel bad. Cue Sophia with one of her best one-liners, that jealousy is a very ugly thing. And so is Dorothy in Anything Backless. While Sophia makes her way out of the living room, the doorbell rings. In this edit, it is not Meg from jail who is at the door like the original episode. We cut to the moment where it is Mr. Burt Reynolds. And Dorothy, who answered, is gobsmacked. There, in person, in all of his tall, dark, and handsome glory in a tan suit with a blue plaid undershirt, is the one, the only, Burt Reynolds. Classically chomping on his gum or cheek or whatever his mouth thing was about, he asks if Sophia is home. I don't know if it's the angle of the shot or Dorothy's sweater is so oversized, but there is really something so, dare I say, sexy about her here. Maybe it's just that her horniness for Bert is looking really good on her. Seeing him at the door, Blanche slowly makes her way toward Bert with a hushed, My God, you're Mr. Bert Reynolds. His response is an unsexy one when he says, Hope so, otherwise I've got the wrong underwear on. Hopefully that's a joke about how, yes, dudes used to write their names on the inside of their undies. Many still do to this day. I suppose it's because you had brothers or something. Coco, do you ever mark your underwear? Have you ever marked your underwear? With a marker. Not with a pen. With a a marker. marker. (laughs) But I I have marked many pairs in my own special way. I heard the question as I laid it out. I heard what I was setting you up for. Hearing his voice from her room, Sophia comes scampering out with a, Oh, hi, Bert. It turns out her stories were true. And now Sophia is going out to lunch with Bert Reynolds. In fact, if the girls had been a little nicer, they probably would have also received an invite. Instead, they get a hasty introduction with Bert asking the most important question. So, uh, which one's the slut? Sophia apparently told Bert about Blanche's promiscuous ways with the hope that they might have a chance to sleep with Bert should he be in the market for a slut, all three girls shoot their arms into the air with an I am before Bert and Sophia turn and leave. Whoosh. We've got another clip from another clip show we're flashing back to. Now it's season three, episode 11, Three on a Couch. To give an example of just how dopey Rose can be, Dorothy talks about the time she put an ad in the paper on her behalf. We find Dorothy doing her favorite reading the paper on the couch in khakis and a brown shirt, while Rose is tinkering with a lamp in my favorite airplane sweater. To say Dorothy's reading the paper wouldn't be exactly right. She's reading it with the intent of finding a classified ad that she fatefully decided to have Rose drop off at the paper. When Dorothy claims to have read every ad and hers is not there, she knows Rose must have done something wrong. Well, that's just not possible, Rose assures her. Any idiot could have taken the information to the paper to be printed in the want ads. But the only idiot that happened to be going downtown where the offices were was Rose, which is why Dorothy even asked her to do it in the first place. Not only is Rose certain she took the ad to the right place, there's proof. Six people had already called in regard to it while Dorothy was out. Taking the paper to prove her wrong, Rose begins to look through the ads. Answering the door after the bell rings, Dorothy finds a stranger on the other side. 
The yellow-shirt, khaki-suited man may not be familiar, but he knows he's looking for Dorothy. Turns out he's there because of the ad in the paper. Now that we're hearing the contents of the ad, it's a little bit strange for Dorothy to have posted in the first place. Although she has shown handyman skills in the house, I'm not exactly sure what she expected when she wrote, willing to do anything for $8 an hour. Somehow, this man found out where Dorothy lived, or she's a maniac who put her address in the paper, and he's there for her services. She's okay with the idea, although she had planned on doing work that needed to be done at that person's home, but it's all right, they can do it there. Mr. Uncredited Creepo is happy to come to her this time, but once his video camera is repaired, they will be meeting at his house. Not catching on to the guy's vibes, Dorothy starts to inquire about the work that he wants her to do. She's then told that the man would like to be called Toto. No, mister. This is not a last name. This is a Wizard of Oz role play involving Dorothy playing Dorothy and this man as Toto, as in Toto the dog. Finally, Dorothy senses the red flags this guy is throwing out and starts to look concerned. At the same time, Rose has returned, paper in hand, as she proudly shows Dorothy that she was wrong. The ad is in the newspaper, just like she said it would be. And she's right. It did technically get printed in the paper, except that Rose didn't place it in the Help Wanted section. She posted it in the Personals, presenting Dorothy once again as a sex worker. Dorothy is horrified that her legitimate search for work is sharing a page with Doug, the man that is looking for an Asian woman, because Oriental is an oh boy, who wants to get nasty with some cooking oil while looking like the matriarch of the Brady Bunch. Toto knows Doug, and he can vouch for how nasty that guy is. What does he say? Like, he's a very sick man or something? Mm, Yes. Ooh, you don't want to talk to him. He's a sick man. Something like that. So who knows what Toto and Doug have gotten into. Realizing why this man is in her house, Dorothy dismisses Toto, luckily without incident. Seeing him to the door, she is shocked and enraged when Toto's exit is followed by a priest's entrance. As Dorothy begins to berate him for being perverted and disgusting, as he clearly wants to pay her eight bucks for who knows what, Sophia comes in carrying a box of donations, of which the priest was there to pick up. Realizing her mistake, Dorothy takes the initiative to punish herself, saying that she will do Hail Marys until Madonna has a hit movie. At the time, Madonna had only been in Vision Quest, Shanghai Surprise, Who's That Girl, and Desperately Seeking Susan, the latter even being considered a success. Sadly, her acting in Desperately Seeking Susan had been overshadowed by the floppiness of the other films. That means Dorothy could have maybe stopped praying in 1990, although Madonna's role in Dick Tracy wasn't exactly praised. The movie was a big hit. Dorothy probably kept rolling those beads until 1992 for the release of A League of Their Own. Madonna's role as May was a critical success. But maybe Dorothy wasn't counting it as a success because it was an ensemble and was not an individual performance from Madonna. So she could have been praising Mary until 1996 when Madonna finally proved her haters wrong with Evita and then undid all of it with Swept Away. And Madonna was moving on with this discreet exit at an ultra-private screening of her new movie Swept Away. Husband Guy Ritchie directed the love story but didn't have loving remarks about it. This is a terrible, terrible movie. Say that. Just kidding. 
Well, Madonna wasn't kidding when a paparazzi made a personal request. Madonna, can you please sign an autograph? No, sorry. Autograph. I have this beautiful picture. Good. Madonna's swept away co-star Adriano Giannini was also at the screening. The Italian actor shared sex and sand with the superstar and admitted shooting those love scenes with Guy calling the shots was anything but easy. Coco, you celebrate a lot of Madonna's films. I remember Dick Tracy was going to come out and it, there was so much hype and I was the age that they were targeting because there were toys oh, yeah. and everything the uh, communicator wristwatch, all of that stuff. I went to see that movie and didn't like it because it wasn't good. <laughs> it's very bad. In my memory, people did not care for her performance at the time. They might now, but even I think I recall it being very wooden. I think that was the beginning of those movies like The Phantom and The Shadow coming out, like old yeah, back when they didn't know how to do comic book movies. Old serial, like new old serial newspaper whatever those are, yeah. comics, and uh, yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. Just the horrible bastard children of Indiana Jones, <laughs> who was not a comic strip. That's right. And I saw a lady roll down the stairs at Crystal Skull. <laughs> I was just listening to that. That was in the first episode of season four. Oh, that's uh, great. Yep. I can't wait to revisit that in a moment. Oh. Before Dorothy can get the door closed, another balding, bad suit-wearing freako scurries past her like a cockroach. With his $8 in hand, he rapidly approaches Rose, eager to pay her for anything she wants to do. When she directs him to the actual Dorothy, the jerk decides that she's only worth half of her asking price. Disgusted, Dorothy threatens to kick him out, right on the bum, which only serves to arouse him, so he's now finally willing to go back to the original price. Attempting again to get the door closed, Dorothy nearly closes it on Blanche, who has just arrived home and is very confused as to why there's a bus of sailors from Greece parked outside. She also wants to know why they are asking how much of their formerly used currency, the drachma, it would take to pay eight American dollars. Well, back then it would have been about 2,580 drachma. The euro of today, it'd be about even. Whoosh. Going back to the first episode of season three, we visit with some old friends. Blanche has accidentally given Rose's favorite teddy bear, Fernando, away at a garage sale. She's now hoping the replacement bear she's purchased will make up for her little mistake. Blanche is there in a yellow-colored shirt and tan pants, and she has great news. She's found Fernando. The light pinkish-brown soft bear she presents Rose clearly, barely resembles Fernando. Do you like that? No. Thank you. As shocked and delighted as Dorothy and Blanche may be, Rose scoffs, nearly laughing at the presentation of such a fraud. It didn't take details like size, color, or comfort to tip her off. Rose can tell it's not him just by looking into his black plastic eyes. Dorothy can tell it's not him by looking at the still-attached price tag. Busted, Blanche gives a, <laughs> whoops, Rose really appreciates her trying, unlike Dorothy, who had just shut her down. It's taken a week, but Blanche is finally ready to confess to the location of Fernando. Blanche then explains to Dorothy how she gave Fernando to Daisy, the neighbor girl. Dorothy suggests that she just call Daisy up, explain the mistake, and get him back. The thing is, Dorothy has called. She did explain the mistake, and Daisy refused to return the bear. It's not that Daisy wants to keep the bear to have it. 
she's holding it ransom. Give me back my son! To prove it to Dorothy, Blanche holds up one of Fernando's ears, a threat sent by Daisy. Staring at the chunk of fabric and stuffing, Dorothy is horrified, stunned, and speechless. Cutting ahead, we find Daisy at the door with Fernando in her arms. After their previous negotiations, Daisy has come to a realization. She shouldn't have demanded a bike in exchange for Fernando's safe return. Cash makes a lot more sense. Hoping this will all come to an end, Blanche goes to get her purse to write a check. But Rose stops her. Perhaps she was wrong to try to take the bear back. Perhaps the journey of Rose and Fernando has come to an end, and he needs to start a new chapter with Daisy. Rose will just have to come to terms with that. That's life. It's hard and unfair. That's not just the lesson Rose is learning, but the one she's teaching Daisy. Sometimes life just ain't fair, kiddo. And with a grabbing of Fernando's head, Rose shocks everyone by forcibly pushing the wicked child out the front door, ripping the bear away before closing the door behind her. Rose quickly wraps her arms tightly around her special bear, her smile never so big. Delighted the ordeal is over and impressed by Rose's quick thinking, Dorothy and Blanche just laugh on, celebrating Rose's success. Whoosh. Still distraught, Blanche tells the girls, while they're all still around the table, that she cannot sit and talk about memories any longer. She needs to come to a decision about the house. Respectfully, the girls leave the kitchen to give Blanche privacy to not only make her decision, but to have that conversation with Mr. Yakimura. Dorothy thinks that Blanche will sell. Rose thinks Blanche is far too sentimental to do such a thing. As for Sophia, she doesn't have an opinion. She's too busy listening in on the living room phone. She isn't slick about it, though, and Blanche hears her, so she plays it off as though she's an operator checking the quality of the line. Dorothy may have been bothered her mother was doing that, but it doesn't really stop her from wanting to know what was said. Before Sophia can finish her sentence that started with, You won't believe what happened, Ellen comes bursting in. Now, you look like decent, sensible girls. So let's just call this a warning, shall we? But if there's any more trouble, I shall be forced to call the city and speak to them about revoking your permit. Oh, it's actually Blanche who was off the phone and picking up where Sophia left off. We just aren't going to believe what happened. So it turns out that all that thinking and worrying was moot. Mr. Yakimura can't buy the house. While he was visiting Florida, he went a little wild with his spending, including the purchase of a department store, condos, a baseball team, and even one of the Landers sisters, famous for their advice columns. Pauline Phillips and Esther Lederer, also known as Dear Abby and Dear Anne, respectively, were advice columnists in Chicago and San Francisco. Hard to choose between the twins, but I'd have to say I think he would go with Abby. It's great news that the option to sell is off the table, but Dorothy wants to know what Blanche would have done if it hadn't been. Blanche deflects the question, saying it doesn't matter, which tells Dorothy everything she needs to know. Blanche would have sold. Okay, fine. Yes, she would have sold, but it wouldn't have meant anything regarding them living together or being family. She would have seen to it that they all stayed together. With that, Rose requests a group hug and the girls bring it in. What a lovely way to close out season four. Coco, we made it to the end of season four. We started recording this season so long ago. So long ago. January of 2023. Yes. And we didn't start releasing it, I think, until July of 2023. Yes. And we had a couple moments off due to scheduling and travel and health. 
Hence why the 26 episodes took (laughs) uh, 60 weeks to get out. But what a season. We started recording. The reason we started in January and it didn't come out until July is we started recording just a couple months after your open heart surgery in September of 22. So it was our first dip back in. And I've noticed just through editing and recording how much more involved you are. You're much more out of your shell or out of your head or whatever that was, which was all heavy. So it all makes sense that you would be distracted. But yes, in this season, I think we really, well, just like the show, we really kind of came into our own. Yeah, season four is a, a powerful season. It's there's a lot of heavy hitters in that in that lineup of uh, of episodes. Well, let's go through them real quick. And if oh you have any, Lord. if you have any idea, you know, anything you want to throw out, I might need some reminders. I'm going to. So we started out with yes, we have no Havanas, where Sophia and Blanche were dating the same older man. Yes, we have no Havanas is great because it was the first time we heard of actor Ralph On being on the show. Oh yes, who we talked about. Last week, right? And this week. And this well, week. Well, not as much. He's just the guy on the phone saying, oh, yeah, oops, Mr. I Yakamura, spent all my yeah. money. And I was reminded that he is the old man character who's best friends with Jake Johnson on New Girl, which is the funniest. <laughs> Thanks, Trent. If I'd met you in your prime during the war, that would have been glorious. But then we would have been enemies and tried to murder one another unless we formed an alliance. Oh, you and me forming an alliance in an old school war? That's a fantasy or a novel. You just gave me another idea. I love them together. It's a good one. And uh, yeah, it was a good reminder. I, I I couldn't put those together from last week when we when he we have Ralph on telling uh-huh. that story about getting beaten up by the yeah. cops <laughs> to that guy. I couldn't make the yeah. connection, but once I did it, I mean, it just filled my heart with joy. And, and that isn't is like that funny that he got to be the bookends of season four? Yeah. He's like, oh, I'll kick it off and close it out. Thank you, Ralph. <laughs> we love you, Ralph. Such a charming man and storyteller and uh, activist, Korean mm-hmm. activist, when it was very difficult to do so in Los Angeles. That's right. They would just beat the hell out of you. <laughs> it's true. Zoot, shoot, riot. <laughs> then we had episode three, the one that got away with Ham, which we happened to accidentally last night fall asleep to Amityville 3D. And there he was, falling through the floor and getting killed by flies. Episode four was Yokel Hero, where we got to go to St. Olaf. Episode five, Bang the Drum Stanley, when Sophia fakes being hit by the ball. Well, she is hit by the ball. She fakes being injured more than she should be. Why did he bring them to the ball game just to be nice? Uh, He got tickets and then didn't have friends and then was going to ask them for money. Classic Stanley. Classic Stanley. And then we have the two-parter, six and seven, Sophia's Wedding. Is that with Max? That's Max. We got to talk Max. We got to talk Tarantino. We got to talk... Max, speaking of Cocoon, he was in that? Oh, we got to talk about... um, That's more powerful than so-and-so's speech in... Barbara Graham. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I want to live! Yes. Starring Susan Hayward. Yes. A very dramatic film. So many Elvis things. Elvis a little bit. I think yeah, you Elvis. about Austin Butler probably. <laughs> well, how can you talk about Herber, Elvis Herber, without Herber, Austin? Herber, Herber, Herber. Herber. And then we had episode eight. Brother, can you spare that jacket? Once I built a railroad. <laughs> now it's done. Brother. But you know what? Can you spare 
good times. That's the George Michael version. Oh, that's a good one. I love it. But we got through it. We got to meet the bodyguard who comes back at the talent show. So we survived Spare That Jacket and went to uh, Nine, which was scared straight when Blanche's brother comes out, which is such a good episode. Episode 10, Stan takes a wife. This is the one where she sits and at the end they're having the popcorn at the bar. Oh, and she's she's like, give me another pop. Give me yeah, another one. Give me and he's another. Like, and he's no, like, no, it's you'll been get too many. You'll get sick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Relatable. Put popcorn in front of me. It's gone. <laughs> Then we got into uh, another part of the auction phase after Brother Spare That, Can You Spare That Jacket? Then we had the auction, episode 11. Uh, that's the artist. You know, you you can't afford a new roof, but you have a de Kimmel. And then they get the Jasper roof. de Kimmel? Jasper de Kimmel. Because Sophia saves him. Then we had Blind Date when Blanche goes on the date with Ed Winter, the actor. Is, I love acting. that episode. That's yeah. one of my favorite romances in the show to this point. Yes. That guy has a great voice. He was hilarious in MASH. I wish we had had more of him. Oh, what, was I, his, what was his character's name? Jack something? John Quinn. Thank you. John yeah, cool Quinn. name. I love Blind Date, and I wish we had had more Jack. Just one more I wish he had come back, really, or really if she cool. had been like, casually reference him here and there to be like, oh, I've got a date with Jack. Or an accidental run-in at some something. sort of event. That would have been yeah. incredible. Then we had the impotence of being earnest. It's time, Rose. Rose. It's time, Rose. Say it, Ernie. <laughs> and we got to talk about wieners not working. That was fun. Always. That was great. I love them limp. <laughs> Episode 14, Love Me Tender with little piglet voice. John Fiedler. Oh, yeah. Fiedler. Cutie pie. And uh, she's what was only. His deal? Oh, he was a, such a great incredible lover. Incredible lover. Yes. Obviously. And they have nothing in common. And Sophia's like, don't date him. You're going to just end up brokenhearted. And she's like, I don't care. He loves them and leaves them crying. Yep. And then Valentine's Day, we got to have a little flashback where we went to the nudist camp. Oh, yes. Well, accidentally nudist camp. Is that the, the nudist hotel, too? Yes, yes. the hotel. Mm -hmm. And then Julio Iglesias comes in at the end. He sure does. When <laughs> when oh. Sophia has to like guide him through his lines. I don't know if we were cute. talking about that on mic that I love so much whenever there's a guest star, the way that Sophia's face lights up. Oh, she loves it. And she it. starts like reaching. She always reaches out for yes. them. I love it. It's so, it's so generous. Well, she had, and I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, uh, Estelle had extreme stage fright. I did not know and that. And she was Well, so... I probably did know that, but I forgot that. Yeah, so she was certain. She was like, well, I haven't been in acting like these women have for their whole lives. I mean, literally, Betty White kind of like formed television, you know? And then Estelle's kind of coming in like, oh, I don't have that kind of history. So she already had this inferiority complex going on, and then she had stage fright. And so as she gets older... As the show progresses, her dementia progresses in real life. And so you'll see her, she'll more often have things in her hand, magazines and things like that, or her actual hand where they wrote lines. I think with the guest stars, she has an understanding of how they will be feeling. For someone like Betty or B or, you know, whoever, even Rue, not that they wouldn't think of that, but for them, they've been doing this 50 years. Like, this is nothing. This is easy peasy. We love doing it. It's in our blood and our bones. And for Estelle, it wasn't. And so when you have these guest stars, I think she relates in that way. I know how scary this is. And I know how intimidating this is. So I'll hold your hand through it. 
and that they'll, they'll likely feel out of their element, even exactly. if it's a big, an enormous movie star. Well, like yeah, Julio Burt Iglesias Reynolds. is the biggest musician in the world. He's not on a sitcom every week. And he seemed a little nervous. And he was. And you'll remember, I don't know if you recall from that moment where if you watch Sophia, she goes, now. Yes, I love that. Because they wait for the crowd yeah. and then she's looking at him. You can see she's almost doing like a count. She's like, uh, Yeah, in those now. moments, it really, it feels like a play or something. Yes, and I love I, that about yeah. the show. After Valentine's Day, we had Two Road Together, which is when Dorothy is really feeling sentimental towards her mom. So she takes her to Disney World and then they don't really go to Disney World until the very end. They look at photos and memories. 17 is You Gotta Have Hope. That's with Bob Hope. That's with the former security guard turned ukulele singer. Obviously. (laughs) Episode 18 was Fiddler on the Ropes. Sophia buys a boxer, not a dog. That's a weird one. It was a weird one. Yeah, watching it with you because it's almost like, well, anything like that that you enjoy for a long time and don't really think about. And then you really watch with intent and with someone who hasn't seen it to be like, what? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that is kind of a weird one. Yeah, they don't always feel so contrived, that one. Yeah, did. yeah. Episode 19, what a great one. Till Death Do Us Volley. Anne Francis, the friend from high school. And they're always pranking each other. And then she pranks that she dies. The worst friendship on TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it maintains, too, that they're still friends, I guess, at the end. I think for women watching especially, I think that's a very relatable relationship. I think you end up in something that either is from childhood or hits a certain nerve. In this case, their competitive nature. And it works somehow, as awful as it is. It's a terrible example of a relationship. It's a really funny episode. It's so funny. Yeah, and then the double twist at the end where she's in the bed with the husband, and then she's like, what's happening? Oh, yeah, that that really surprised me in the moment. I yeah. thought that's what was happening. That was a good one. And then we have High Anxiety, which is a little bit of an after-school special with Rose overcoming her pill addiction, but an important conversation to have. And then it was another Rose with Little Sister, where Rose is convinced that her sister is stealing basically every part of her life. And that that's a pretty good one. Oh, was that she was hanging out with Dorothy and Blanche? Yeah. Oh, we didn't go check your work. We thought you were gone. Oh, we didn't go to lunch over there. Oh, we didn't give you the address. Oh, we got play tickets to the play. All that. Bad sister. And that was a great ending, too, because Rose was like, you got to figure your stuff out. I am a grown up and I have my relationships how I have them. You figure your stuff out and come back to me. Episode 22 was Sophia's Choice, where Sophia, we once again get the rapping granny. Hell yeah. Ellen Abertini Dow. Yes, that was where they went into the office and the man <laughs> was on the phone constantly and kept ringing. Yeah, and he goes, problems, problems, problems. The world brings me nothing but problems. And who are you? We are the world. I like that because that character kept trying, even though he knew it was fruitless and yeah. he would never be done with it. He was tireless, and I appreciated I that. I think that was very different for that type of character. The, yeah. cur- the curmudgeonly office guy, instead of like, get over it. This is how it is. He was like, yeah, I'll, do you have a suggestion? Because I don't know what to do. All he can do is pick up the phone. Yeah. And be there. And that's a start. Yikes. <laughs> Great system. <laughs> episode 23 was Rites of Spring, the weight loss episode. So it was a bunch of old boys about body shaming and weight and scales. Great outfits. But we got great outfits. <laughs> Such good jazzercise clothing. Delight. Yeah. Headband. The headband. That oh, Blanche the headband is alone. Don't get me started on that thing. <laughs> and the ha- the hairdos from Eduardo, so the actor. Good. 
Oh, Eduardo. Yes, of course. Oh, yes, the <laughs> Sophia the Cuts. Yes. yes. <laughs> so good. And episode 24, we had Foreign Exchange, where to this day, we're not sure if Sophia is Dorothy's biological mother, which is okay. It is okay. It's fun canon, I think, because I'm on the team of, I don't think Sophia's her mom. I don't think so either, but I think that makes them even better mother-daughter. Yeah. Because Sophia knows that, I think, or has always known that, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, maybe she had a an inkling. Well, she had such a, she had a, probably gave birth to a small baby, and then they brought in <laughs> a much, much longer baby that was smoking. That's my girl. <laughs> She probably was smoking. And then we're up to last week, part one of We're Out of Here. Well, we're out of here. We're out of here. And now we're to episode 26, we're out of here. But we're not out of here. We're we're out of here. But they are not out of here or there. We thought they might be out of here or there. Yeah. But it turned out they decided they're, to they're here. remain. Yeah. Great recap. I want to give a little sneak peek for next season. Which we're just going to keep continuing. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Uh, we're opening with a two-parter called Sick and Tired, which I think I will relate to a lot more now that I've been to so many doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me before. Then we've got <laughs> we've got great ones. We have someone wanting to have a baby via... IVF? Uh, not that, but we're the conception... Um, Surrogate. No, where they you go to the sperm bank. <laughs> Insemination. Insemination. Yes, we have an insemination episode. We have fighting against aging. We have Dick Van Dyke coming up. We have uh, the introduction of Miles. That'll be fine. Oh, not another Monday, which is season five's brother. Can you spare that jacket? Let's see. Oh, we meet George's brother. So we meet Blanche's brother-in-law. Oh. We have stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy? Oh. Is he in that? No. Well, he might be in that episode. All right. Uh, we get a visit from another Jacoby boy. We Hell have yeah. the first ebb tide. I think we end up with five of them or something like that. What's an ebb tide? I don't know. And I'll, I cannot wait to look into it because they are some of the favorite episodes of Watchers of Golden Girls. We've got helping a pregnant teen. We've got fear of hospitals. We have meeting uh, lovers, family members. We have traveling back to Brooklyn. We have... Back in time? No, oh. we get to go to Brooklyn. Hey. Um, someone has to have a somewhat serious procedure. Well, these were all very relatable episodes. <laughs> someone claims to be someone's son. I've never done that. We touch on AIDS. We touch on a battle for attention. Boys fighting over one of the ladies. We get to visit Blanche's sister. One of her sisters comes again. We get Jerry Orbach. Hello. I'll put baby in that corner. The original dun-dun. <laughs> May he rest. Uh, we go to a wedding. That'd be fun if that's uh, around our wedding time. That'd be really oh. fun. And then someone has a gambling addiction. And President Bush is threatening to come to the house, which is the two-part finale, which is also a clip show. Read my lips. No new taxes. <laughs> That's right. That's the one. Yeah, the old Bush. Not Well, yeah. The one that they made cool on The Simpsons. Yes. So what do you rate season four, Coco? Season four was awesome. It's so strong and their performances are so hilarious and they really know the rhythms of each other just so well. It's... Yes. 
And I think you and I have found our flow and the clips have found their flow and all of that stuff. And it's a fun show and I love doing it with you. Whoosh. Blanche is right. No matter what happens in life or to their home, the girls will put each other first, always finding a way to be together. And when you've found your family, blood or chosen, it's always nice to feel comforted in the security of knowing that you will make each other a top priority. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we kick off season five with the two-part opener, Sick and Tired. Through all of this, there really is only one question. Why is this plane so loud right now? No, it's not that. I've got to go pee. I have to go pee in the yard right now or I'm going to pee in my pants in the studio. Pot roast. Oh, my. Well, to croat. To croat. <laughs> We're all getting bum goofed. We're getting goofed in our bums right is in what's the bees, happening. Yeah. G'd in the B. I'm going to get F in the B, so H-I-S. Oh, also it helps to write the right thing because I have hail mail. So that's fun. That's what we say when the, the postman comes hail by. Mail. Hail mail. For, uh, for Tim. No, no Tim. Tim. There's a bunch of stuff getting exposed on the beach, like well, items, people, no, big buns. No. <laughs> I wonder if, I hope, a, I mean, I don't hope. Well, I do. I hope a body gets dragged out to sea <laughs> at a at a beachside funeral. But he did almost choke to death on a pretzel, and that's hilarious. I rated a George W. Bush mission accomplished. <laughs> Flight suit and everything. I'll take that again. Oh, and shout out to everyone in Jamaica, because the show is pretty high on the list over there. One love. <laughs> Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.